Hello, so we're reading from Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 16. So, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of God. What you believe about the future will change how you live in the present. A couple of weeks ago during my study leave, I read a memoir about a woman who was living in Iran and converted to Christianity. And at that time, converting to Christianity in that place was a capital crime. And so this was a woman who was wealthy. She was respected in her community. She was living a very safe and a comfortable life. But when she became a Christian, all that changed. She became poor. She became persecuted, and ultimately she had to flee her country and become a refugee, looking for a new home and a new place to live. And so in this memoir, her son, watching her life, asked the question, why would she do it? Why would she give up riches for poverty? Why would she give up comfort and safety for persecution and losing all status, losing her family? And he, watching his mom's life unfold, said because she believed Christianity was true. And more than that, and he writes this, she fixed her eyes on something beyond the rivers of blood to a beautiful place on the other side. What you believe about the future will change how you live in the present. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. A Christian is someone whose beliefs about the future radically transform the way they live in the present, the way you can live in the present. A Christian is someone who believes the best is yet to be, and that hope buoys you no matter what kind of storms and troubles you face in life. And that's what Hebrews 11 is about. So let's look at this passage, and let's see the following three things today. First, where faith looks. Second, what that kind of faith produces. And then last, how that kind of faith is possible. So where does faith look? What that kind of faith produces and where that kind of faith comes from. 
So first, where does faith look? Now, the verses that Jasmine just read, Hebrews 11, it's all about a man called Abraham. Abraham is the all-star of faith in the Bible. He's sometimes called the father of faith. Christians in the New Testament, Jewish people in the Old Testament looked to Abraham as the example par excellence of a life of faith. And what the author says here in verse 8, reflecting on Genesis 12 and God's call, is that God's call came to Abraham's life and Abraham obeyed. He followed God. He lived by faith. He stepped out into the unknown. But the question we're asking is, why did he do that? And verse 10 tells us. Verse 10 of the passage says, he looked for a city that had foundations whose architect and builder is God. And so the question, where does faith look? The answer is it looks forward to the coming city of God. That's the gaze of faith. Now, when the Bible describes the future that's coming for the people of God, it uses a couple of different words. So sometimes it uses the word heaven. Sometimes, more times, it uses the word kingdom. But most of all, and I love this, When the Bible talks about the future that's coming to you, if you're someone who follows God, the word the Bible uses is city, the city of God. And that's what Abraham was looking towards. When God calls him to live by faith, the thing that's captured Abraham's gaze is the city of God. And you will be a person who lives by faith to the degree that you see the city of God is coming. So we want to spend a few minutes unpacking what does that mean? What is the city of God that is the focus of faith? The first thing, and I love to say this, is it's interesting that when the Bible talks about our future, it does so in terms of a city. Because if you're like me, when I was growing up as a Christian, a younger Christian, when I thought about heaven or when I thought about the future, the image that came into my mind was something like, floating around on clouds, wearing robes, playing harps forever, an eternal worship service. Now, singing is healing and harps are beautiful, but that doesn't sound that interesting for eternity. But actually, that picture that some of us might have of heaven is not the biblical one. Because when the Bible describes what's coming for your future, it does so in terms of a city, a city alive, A city more real and more solid and more substantial than even the one that we're in today. A city that has rivers flowing through it and trees growing that never stop bearing fruit. A city that's filled with real justice. A city that's full of creativity and beauty. A city where death is defeated. Where you can stop feeling the pressure of needing to constantly perform. Because in that city, you're safe. It's a city of joy and a world of love. That's the future for the people of God. And even as I try to describe that city, I know that my words fail. Because you can't describe the indescribable. Paul the Apostle was given a vision of the future. He was given a vision of heaven or the kingdom. And when he tried to describe his vision to the people he was writing to in 2 Corinthians, he said, I don't actually have the words to do so. I'm not permitted to speak about it. 
In another place, Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, the city that's coming, Paul says, is indescribable. To try to describe it is to weaken and lessen its beauty. A couple hundred years ago, there was a Puritan pastor who preached a sermon for his church, and he was trying to help them, much like I'm trying to do today, trying to help his congregation understand the city of God, the future that God has promised to those who love him. And listen to what he said in his sermon. It's old English, so I'll read it slow. To pretend to describe the excellence, the greatness, or the duration of the happiness of heaven, even by the most artful composition of words, would be but to darken and to cloud it. And so we can only say this, a Christian has the assurance and the certainty that they shall at last surely enjoy such a happiness of the highest perfection without the least mixture of the contrary. Let me try to put it like this. If you're able, think about a time in your life or the, maybe the moment in your life where you were the most happy. I mean, can you think of it where you were just filled with happiness? And as you think about that moment, that season of life, probably you were in a place that was beautiful or you were with people that loved you and that you love. Probably you had your needs met. There was good food and drink and a real sense of safety and companionship. And you probably felt like you mattered, like your life was significant. Maybe you achieved something and you felt validated. Now, when those moments of pure happiness come into our lives, it lifts our hearts and we feel okay. But you know what the trouble is on this side of glory? Those moments fade because the dinner ends, the people leave, the accomplishment doesn't actually fully satisfy the heart. And so those moments of happiness are incredible, but we can't hold on to them. Do you know what the city of God is? Take that moment of happiness, multiply it by infinity, and have it go on forever. And that is what God is preparing for your future. Indescribable joy in his presence. And that's what Abraham was looking towards, the city of God. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God is preparing for those who love him. That's what's coming. And that's where faith looks. But remember, this morning, what we're saying is that what we believe about the future impacts the way we live in the present. So what does that kind of forward-looking faith produce? If you're a person this morning who says, okay, the city of God, beautiful and joy-giving beyond description, that's my future, that's where I'm headed, that's what's coming. The question then is, well, what does it mean for today? How does it change your life on February 5. Three things this passage shows us. That kind of forward-looking faith fuels obedience, it focuses your eyes on God's promises, and it renews your relationship to this city. It fuels obedience, it focuses your eyes on God's promises, and it renews your relationship to this city. 
So come with me again, verse 8. We're going to go through those pretty quickly, but it's important. So verse 8. This kind of forward-looking faith first, it fuels obedience. So let's read again, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. The author is reflecting on Abraham's story, that God comes to Abraham. Abraham was living a very comfortable, easy, happy life. And God comes to him and says, get out. You're leaving home. You're leaving family. And you're going to a place that I will show you. And the author says that Abraham obeyed even though he did not know where God was taking him. He steps out on a journey of faith. And can I just show you how different this is than the way most of us approach God and Christianity? Lots of us have a vision for our life. We know where we want to go. And we think God is going to be a really helpful accessory to help us get there. God, this is how my life's supposed to unfold. These are the people I want to be with, These are the places I want to get to. And God, you're very powerful, so you can help me get there. But the life of faith is different. The life of faith is one of surrender, in which God gets to say, follow me, even when you don't know where we're going even when you don't understand where it's going to lead. And the reason Abraham was able to do that is because he knew at some profound level, what I'm really seeking is the city of God, which means I can follow God anywhere. Because ultimately, that's where he's taking me. And so let me just give you a couple of examples, some real-life examples about what forward-looking faith produces in terms of obedience. Here's one. Our church, this church, the fact that we're gathered on Sunday, today, is the result of someone stepping out in faith. I don't know how I'm going to say this, but Tim and Lindsay Chaddock are here today. They planted this church six years ago. Yeah, that's right. And what's amazing is that they, like Abraham at a very real level, were living in a place that was very comfortable. It was a glory town called Los Angeles. But God called them to move to London, to come to a place that they had very little community, and to start a church from scratch to help more people in London know the gospel. And so today, we are here worshiping because by faith, they obeyed, even though we, they didn't know what was going to happen and what the result would be. Here's another example. Some of you right now are in relationships in which you've been profoundly hurt by someone, deeply hurt. And God calls you to forgive those who have wronged you and to love your enemies. That's a command from God. And yet your heart, your instinct when you've been hurt is to want to protect self, to take revenge, to get even, to settle the score. And so even though you know the call of God to forgive and to love has come into your life, you struggle with obeying because you don't see how it could lead to anything wholesome or life-giving. By faith, you can obey even when you don't know what is going to happen because you know that God's city is coming, the place of ultimate justice where all wrongs are righted. And where God's justice covers the earth as the water covers the seas. Here's another example. Some of you today 
are struggling because you are dangerously overworking and you think you have no choice because you've so connected your identity to your achievement that you can't stop running on the hamster wheel because you believe what you produce is who you are. And the promise for you today is the city of God is coming. And that no matter what you do from here to the end, nothing can make your future more secure than it is today if you're in Jesus. And so God invites you to do something that in a city like ours is crazy. Sabbath, rest, take a day off. Don't work constantly because your identity is not in your achievements. Your identity is in Jesus. And some of you, even as I say that, you're like, yeah, but you don't know my boss. By faith, Abraham obeyed, even though he didn't know what it was going to look like. You see, faith in the future produces obedience in the present. That's the first thing. Faith fuels obedience. Second, and importantly, this kind of forward-looking faith focuses your eyes on God's promises. Now, please stay with me. This is really significant, and you've got to hear me. Come with me down to verse 11. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Now, I said it. I'm going to say it again. Stay with me. If we misunderstand this verse, it's going to cause a lot of pain. Because what it could sound like when you just read it for the first time is that Sarah had enough faith, and so she was able to conceive and have a baby. But we know, and as a church, we've begun talking about the fact that there are many in our community who, whether because of miscarriage or infertility, or even the uncertainty about whether or not they're ever going to be able to get married and have a family, they really struggle with wanting children. They really want children and aren't sure it's ever going to happen. And a way to misread this verse and to be filled with pain is to think, well, if we just had enough faith, we would. That's not what the verse is saying. What the verse is saying, and and by the way, talking about miscarriage and infertility, we're doing that as a church in our next RCL family conversation. That's coming, and we're needing space as a community to be able to process that together. So that's coming. But what this verse is talking about, what this passage is saying is that faith focuses your eyes on the promises of God. You see, God came to Abraham and Sarah with a very specific promise that despite the circumstances of their life, they were going to have a child, and that child was going to lead to the nation of Israel. And this was a specific promise at a specific moment in salvation history where God said to this couple, even though circumstantially it seems impossible... I'm inviting you to trust in my word, trust in my promise. And so this passage is not saying that if you have enough faith, you get anything you want. What it is saying is that no matter what your circumstances are, you can take to the bank the promises of God. And he's never going to break a promise. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He, God, is a promise maker. And he was never a promise breaker. He is a promise-keeping God, and every one of his people shall prove it to be so. So that's what faith does. 
Faith doesn't think, well, I can get whatever I want if I have enough faith, but it says God's going to keep his promises even when I don't get everything I want because he's never broken a promise. Now, that begs the question, well, what are God's promises? I mean, what are the things that we can trust in and depend on and take to the bank? And I don't have time to tell you all of them. We would be here for days if I were to survey the Bible and recount to you all the promises of God. But let me just give you a couple this morning that sustain my heart no matter what I face. A couple of promises that you can live your whole life depending on. Jesus said, I will be with you forever. You're never actually alone. We know another promise that we are forgiven, which can sound abstract, but you know what that means? It's a promise that you are not the sum total of your biggest failures and regrets. That that's not how God sees you. Another promise, God says, I will give you peace that protects your heart when nothing else makes sense. When everything in your life feels like it's falling apart, God promises to give you a peace that doesn't depend on your ability to process or make sense of your circumstances. He promises a joy that is stronger than sorrow. He promises that he will work all things together for good if you're one of his children. Not that all things that happen are good, but that all things will be worked together for good. And that even death, the greatest enemy, has been defeated. Your future is safe. See, what faith does is it goes out into the world, and whatever circumstances you face, it looks to those promises and many others in the Bible and it grabs hold of them. And it says, despite appearances and circumstances, I know that God is going to keep his word. That's what Abraham and Sarah believed. And that's what faith looks to. Third thing that faith does, this kind of forward-looking faith, fuels obedience, it focuses our eyes on God's promises, and third, it renews our relationship to this city. We've already said, verse 10, Abraham is looking forward to the city of God. Come with me to verse 16. The passage says that the people of faith, not just Abraham, but many people of faith, were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he's prepared for them a city. And so here's the question. As these people of faith look to the coming city of God, my question for us this morning is, well, we live in London. What's the relationship of the coming city of God to this city today? Because sometimes Christians get criticized. Maybe you've heard this criticism. The criticism goes something like this. Oh, Christians, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. They're so focused on the future, they don't have much to do in the present. And let me show you how bonkers that is, according to the Bible. What Abraham is teaching us is that until you're heavenly minded, you won't actually be much earthly good. Until you know the city of God is your future, you're not going to be able to enjoy London properly. And do you know how I know that? Look again carefully at verse 9. In verse 9, the passage says, By faith Abraham made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. See in your mind this contrasting image. Abraham's living by faith, the city of God is coming, but his present life, he's living in a tent. That image is meant to stand in contradiction to the city. 
A tent is flimsy, it's impermanent, it's very shakable. A city is permanent, it's stable, it's not going anywhere. And so Abraham's life on earth feels like living in a tent because his eyes are fixed on the coming city of God. Some of you, I've said this before, so pardon me if you've heard it. I'm not much of an outdoorsman. I don't really like camping. But the few times that I've gone camping, I've managed to have a decent time. Do you know why? Because I keep telling myself, this is only temporary. This is going to end. I'm going to be able to go home soon. So with that awareness that my present experience in the tent on the mountain and I haven't showered and the food's just okay, that experience is transformed into something that's actually joyful and fun and great companionship with those I'm with precisely because I know that home is coming. And that frees me to enjoy it in the present. But if I expect the tent and my sleeping bag and the food that isn't very good, but it tastes good because we carried it up the mountain, to satisfy my soul the way home is meant to do, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. And I'm not going to be able to enjoy that camping trip. And I'm not going to have a good time with the people I'm with. I'm going to be irritable and discontent and no fun. Only when I recognize the impermanence of that situation can I fully enjoy it. And what Hebrews 11 is saying is that your whole life in a very real way is like living in a tent. And you're going to be able to start really enjoying it when you remember that the city of God is coming. You know what that means practically? Some of you moved to London because you thought this is the place where I'm going to find myself. This is the place where I'm going to get the right job and I'm going to meet the right people and I'm going to have all the right opportunities. And you came to London, and you know what you found? It is a great city. And there are a lot of good jobs here, and there's a lot of really good people and great food. And it's also noisy and expensive, and it takes 45 minutes to get everywhere. It's a great city, and it's a hard city. And the only way that we're going to be a church, a people who are free to love and serve London, is to the degree that we realize that actually what we're really craving is the city of God. God's city. And once you set your gaze on that city, then you're free to not need London to save you, but instead for you to be a person who loves and serves London. Faith in the city of God renews our relationship to this city and makes us a people who can enjoy its beauty, see its imperfections, and love and serve this place because it's the place that God has put us. We need faith in the city of God to rightly enjoy London. So the question then finally as we close our sermon and come to our time of response is, well, how do you know that God's city is coming? How do you get this kind of faith that transforms your obedience and fixes your eyes on God's promise? Where does this kind of faith come from? And the answer is down in verse 16, a very interesting verse. The end of verse 16 says this, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's a very interesting phrase, and it actually doesn't come up that much in the Bible. The author is saying, God is not ashamed of you. And in fact, not only is he not ashamed, but he's given you a gift, a city. 
You've never been given a gift like that. And the question is, well, why is God not ashamed of you? Maybe I can put it this way. Why is God not ashamed of me? Because when I look at my life, when I look at my own heart, I do feel shame. Because I know that I do many things that don't honor God or love and serve other people. And more than that, I know that even on my best days, when I do things really well, there's still mixtures of selfishness and sin in my heart. Most days I get things badly wrong, and on all days I get something wrong. So if I'm just looking at myself, there's a lot to be ashamed of. Why is it that when God looks at me or when God looks at you, he's not ashamed? And the answer that Hebrews gives us is because Jesus took your shame. And he himself lost the city. So that now God isn't ashamed of you and will give you a city. Just a couple of chapters later in Hebrews chapter 13, we read this. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. And so Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. So let us then go to him outside the city bearing the disgrace that he bore because here we don't have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that's to come. Do you hear that? Remember, who built the city of God? God, Jesus And yet the text tells us that when Jesus lived on earth and was in his home city, Jerusalem, he was taken outside of the city, literally like an exile. And he was brought outside of his city. He lost the city. And in shame and in scandal, he was crucified. He was killed. He looked like a common criminal, a thief, and bore shame. And the Bible tells us that on that cross, Jesus was dying like a substitute. He was dying for, in place of, his people. So on the cross, outside of the city, the shame that Jesus carried was yours and mine. So that when God looked at Jesus on the cross, all of your shame and sin and brokenness and ugliness was poured out on Jesus. So that on this day, God can say, I'm not ashamed of you. Because you're covered in the perfection of my son. And more than that, Jesus lost the city. So that God can say to you, I'm preparing for you a city. A city of life and joy where death is defeated and tears are wiped away. And everything sad comes untrue. You see, on the cross, Jesus died as our substitute. So your future is a feast. Because on the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. Your future is light. Because on the cross, darkness descended on Jesus. Your future is a city because Jesus was taken out of the city and killed for you. So how does faith respond? Where does this faith come from? It looks to Jesus. And it sees him dying in your place, defeating death, and promising you a city. That's where faith is looking today. And that kind of faith will transform your life. It'll transform our city. So let's pray and ask God to increase our faith right now. Our God, thank you for this opportunity we've had to spend some time looking at Hebrews 11 and the nature of faith, the nature of forward-looking faith that clings to your promises 
that looks to your city. So right now, today, we pray that this truth would break into our souls, break into our hearts. We pray for powerful and tangible experiences of your promises right now this morning because we need it. Some of us have been wavering in obedience, afraid to step out, afraid to listen to you. Others are needing hope and the hope of your promises. And still others are struggling with life in this city because of how hard it is or how disappointing it can be. Lord, lift our eyes, give us faith, increase our faith to see Jesus crucified for us, to see all your promises coming towards us. We pray for this now by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.